hi everybody. Um, I haven't been here for a while. I'm happy to be back. I've been um, teaching retreats recently. I taught two retreats in a row at uh, Spirit Rock. Some of you I see were on the retreat. Nice to see you all here. Some of you come regularly. Some of you haven't been here for a while, so it's nice to see you here. And tonight I'm going to talk about Anicca, about uh, change, about impermanence. But I'll say a little more about the retreats first. And what I wanted to say about the retreat was the first retreat I taught, which was for about seven days, which was Maranasati, mindfulness of death, awakening to life. And it was really about birth and death, both physically and also um, in the practice that each moment is born and then leaves and dies. And the, the personalness is both emotionally personal, like, like we all are born and will die. And that's usually emotional for all of us. And people we know and care about and love are born and then here for a while and then leave. And that's also emotional, and but it's also about the the life of each moment, the life of what's right here, like this moment, and then this moment, and then this moment is born, and this moment fades away or is transient. And so that was very um, powerful because you get all of that in one package, which is in the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. And there's a whole contemplation about both um, breath and the inspiration of breath and the expiration of breath. Each breath is born and dies. And then there's a whole section in the first foundation also about <clears throat> about contemplating uh, what happens to this body when it dies. And we even showed uh, some uh, a PowerPoint of photographs of decomposing bodies, because it's normal that this is what happens to a body after it dies, if it's not uh, embalmed, right? If, and of course, it's what happens to all life whether it's a human body or it's a, a weed or a flower or a tree or a whale or, a, you know, a, a bee or a mosquito or a, a pelican or whatever it is, everything has that same life and that same changing nature of life. And then the second retreat, we, we was a longer 10 day retreat. And uh, it had the theme was only this moment that there was only this moment, this moment was new, live, impermanent, fugacious and mysterious in that way. And I had planned to teach about uh, uh, Anicca a few months ago. So there was a series that the board asked me to do, and this was one of them about Anicca. And so today I looked up the word Anicca, and here's something that's changed. You can now look up Anicca in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. 
And when I was a young man, they didn't they didn't have a Nietzsche, you know, back then. Actually, I just read something about the first dictionary, the English Oxford Dictionary, was um, took like thirty years to create, and was like twenty five volumes. It was huge, and uh, amazing the people, the work people did to to really clarify each word. And this was, if you didn't know, this was before the internet, the first dictionary. And so they had a lot of books. Now it's all, it's all online like that. And that's a big change, right, in, in our world. So Merriam-Webster said about Anicca that it had the etymology of Anicca. I mean, which I love, if you know me, you know I like etymology. So the, the etymology of Anicca, it comes from the Pali and then comes from the Sanskrit. And in the Sanskrit, um, it's uh, Anicca, meaning not in eternal, not eternal, Anicca, not e eternal. And, it, and the common you know, translation in Buddhism of Anicca is impermanence or sometimes evanescence. And it's an evanescence means uh, similar to um, um, to um, um, <clears throat> fugacious. It means they're disappearing or it's transient. And evanescence says it's like disappearing like a vapor. And you'll notice even one minute ago has disappeared like a vapor. It's gone. It's not here even though we remember it. And of course, five years ago is like way gone. And for those of you who are more experienced, 20 years ago is really gone, or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago, or 60 years ago, depending on your age. But it's all gone. Even if you're 10, yesterday is gone. And it, it has this evanescent quality it, to disappear like a vapor. And the other ways that Nietzsche is translated as change, transience, ephemerality, um, uh, transitoriness, momentariness, uh, the unstatic nature of life, of reality. And when I say life, I'm, I'm equating it with reality. It's all alive for a moment. It's here. And in Buddha's teaching, Anicca is one of the doorways to awakening. It's sometimes called the, the one of the doorway to the unconditioned or the unborn or the deathless, which are all um, terms to describe Nibbana, the unconditioned, the unborn, the deathless because it's pointing at something that is beyond the Nietzsche. A Nietzsche is, is rooted in conditioning. Everything has a seed, arises, gone. But awakening is not of the same order, of the same um, domain of reality. And the Buddha taught about a Nietzsche in a very highly regarded way. Um, Suzuki Roshi, the great founder of San Francisco Zen Center, he said when he discovered no moment could be repeated, 
when he discovered no moment could be repeated, he was awakened. And that's what the Buddha was pointing at. The Buddha said to realize this truth, the truth of, of Anicca, the Dharma awakens in one. It's the awakening in dar of Dharma when we really come to get it, not just cognitively, but somatically, kinesthetically, experientially, that we are also Anicca. We are changing every moment. And of course, science proves this now, you know, science can tell you, you know, how you all your cells are changed in a year or a few years or something. I don't know the number, but some of you may know, but it's, it's just like that. And, and all the sensations are changing, even though they can feel similar. And all the thoughts are changing, even though they may be repetitive, meaning the same word, it's not the same moment of that thought. And when Suzuki Roshi discovered no moment could be repeated, as I said, he was awakened, he was free. And so impermanence itself means not permanent. It's a little bit of a duh, yeah, of course. We all get that, it's not permanent. It means temporary or, or, um, <clears throat> or um, fluid. That reality is fluid. It's not static. Uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu says, ta translates Anicca as inconsistent. Everything is inconsistent. All things, body, heart, mind, in a continuous change of, of condition, a, a subject to the rising and passing, the inconsistency of reality. It's not static. <clears throat> and I believe you can all recognize the universality of Anicca or impermanence, right? Have you, everybody here had a childhood? Anybody here not have a childhood? <laughs> right? But, you know, and, and of course, everybody here, your childhood is gone. And for some of us, our youth is gone. For some of us, our middle age is gone. And some of us, it's getting closer, even our old age is going to be gone soon. Because that's just what happens to life. That's how reality works. And so it's helpful to understand that a Nietzsche characterizes everything. And it characterizes all conditioned things, including human life. And there's a beautiful chant that I'm going to play for you about uh, Anicca. We did it on the last retreat a little bit. And the, the chant goes, Anicca Wata Sankara Upadwaya Damano Upakito Wadirujanti Te Sangu Pasamo Suko. The chant, I'll play it, it'll be better than my singing. But um, but it the words translate <clears throat> all conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to rise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. And just to be um, 
translatively inclusive. Um, one of my uh, colleagues on the last um, retreat, she she did. She said, "No, the, here's the better translation," and the, it's similar. It's all conditioned things are impermanent; they arise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings great bliss. So it's either way you get some good stuff. It's either brings the highest happiness or great bliss. So and let's see now if I can. I'm going to try playing this. I think I'm set up to do that uh, here. And give me a thumbs up if you can hear this okay. Conditioned things are permanent. They rise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. So that's just a little idea of the place of this understanding in Buddhist teaching and practice, because that's one of the most revered and common chants that I know in Buddhism and that personally that I love very much. Mm. So impermanence. Impermanence is also part of the difficulty of human life, right? Things arise, change, pass away. Um, but part of the current impermanence that seems very permanent, but is not, is war. And I didn't feel like I could talk at all tonight without talking about the Israeli-Hamas war that is happening right now that we're all living with and, uh, and responding to one way or another. And, uh, and so I looked up a little about the Middle East, which I knew a little bit about, but I wanted to know more. And there have been, depending on who I, who I, um, um, I used as a source, there have been between 16 and 19 wars in that part of the world since the partition of Palestine that created the country of Israel, right? And but I but I thought, well, wait, wait, I, I wanted to look more because okay, I, I kind of knew that, that it's been a place of war ever since the creation of Israel, for many good reasons, which is people were displaced, killed, moved out of their homes, as a way to deal with a response to a previous war and the Holocaust that happened in World War Two to, you know, millions and millions of Jewish people in Europe and around the world. 
And so um, I looked up some history about the Mideast and there have been wars in this area for the last 5,100 years, which is a long time, 5,100 years. Judaism is only approximately 4,000 years old. Before that, even before Judaism, um, the Canaanites and the Philistines had war there, right? And the, 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 both the Canaanites and the Philistines have some um, uh, leftoverness in the Mideast that is, turns out to be um, Jews and Arabs in that area of the world. And part of the reason um, that um, this kind of repetitive uh, misunderstanding and unskillful action happens is because people forget that the fact that war doesn't work, basically. An eye for an eye, as my friend Stephen Folder, who's uh, an Israeli uh, Vipassana teacher said, an eye for an eye, uh, which is from the Bible, right? You take an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye means the whole world will be blind because it never ends. And so there's just this horror about what's happening in my heart. And I've assumed many other hearts here in the room because we can't stop it because of the continuity of this kind of fear and, and tribal uh, division. It's one way I could put it. And I talked to a friend of mine who had talked to uh, a friend in Gaza and uh, and he had talked to a woman there who um, who said who said to him <clears throat> on the phone, "This could be my last day," because she's scared because of what's happening. And she said she's lost over forty people in her family to the various wars that have happened since in the last fifty or more years. And this is a dukkha that's based on ignorance and the greed, hatred, and delusion that human beings share. This is this goes beyond all cultures, as far as I can tell. Greed, hatred, and delusion. That there's uh, uh, the the helplessness and the and the um, fear and the reactivity that we think will save us is in every culture. And my friend Stephen, I'm going to try to read his, he, he sent me a note and Stephen Folder taught here in the last few years. So he sent a note to a few of the American teachers that he taught at. And I'll read you a little about his side of it. I just said something about the woman from Gaza who's lost so many people in her family for this war that is not ending so far. And when I say not ending, the wars have been going on for 5,100 years in that area of the world. Um, he says, I write this from Israel where I live. We are in the midst of unprecedented pain and suffering of unimaginable violence. There's a climate of fear and anger and loss, which for some is overwhelming. At the same time, our spiritual community and many uh, kind-hearted folks are extremely active round the clock 
in online events or physical meetings, bringing relief, humanitarian aid, care, and the capacity to listen, and excuse me, and offer ways to find the strength and stability to go through this terribly dark period. At the same time, many of us, including myself, he's speaking about Israelis now, cannot condone the suffering inflicted on the Palestinians of Gaza in response as if that would be an answer. And then he said this, because it will not be an eye for an eye will leave the whole world blind. The evidence is clear. Every few years there have been an outbreak of violence. Gaza has been pounded and the seeds are sown for the next round. And these days it is by far the worst. It still expresses the failure year by year for both sides to explore other options. And he says, he says, when the voices of both sides say there are no other options, it expresses only the paths that were not taken. It is sleepwalking into suffering. It shows aggressive and reactive responses based on trauma rather than wise actions that create conditions for change. And then he goes on to say how he and his colleagues have brought groups of Israelis to the West Bank to spend weekends on peacemaking workshops with Palestinians at times when the dominant voices said that peace was impossible and only in violence and suppression worked. He said, we found that our tools of deep listening, sharing our pain, daily life experiences, and being in each other's shoes created a lasting bond and showed us that peace was possible. The truth of our shared vulnerability, and that to me, that's a key piece. The truth of our shared vulnerability creates an opportunity for transformations. We have also done a number of quiet peace walks throughout the region, region, Israelis and Palestinians, Jews and Arabs, demonstrating what peacefulness was like at times when it was forgotten. Did it make a difference? Good question. That's me saying good question. Did it make a difference? Yes, like a candle that brings a small light, yet one that makes a real difference in a totally dark room. And then he, he asks, what can others do outside the region? Kindness is the opposite of hate and violence. Connect with the compassion that is in your hearts and know that compassion is unlimited. And that's really true. Know that compassion is unlimited. It does not have one address. Radiate compassion for all sides and for each of us as we are all vulnerable beings. Let it direct and energize us to act skillfully in the world. And wherever and wherever we have an opportunity, help to create the conditions for a peaceful and fulfilling life for all. And so that's, that's Stephen from Israel Insight talking about his response and horror and dedication to what's true, which is an eye for an eye never works. It never works. So I wanted to bring it into the room because it's in it's in the room anyways. And it's part of what we're dealing with, with our practice in Buddhism, which is the suffering of the world. And the changing 
suffering of, you know, it's always a new reason for the war. It's always a new this or that or another or something else. And the um, impermanent nature of, uh, of the stability of anything. And there's another personal piece I'd like to bring into the room, uh, which is more personally personal, meaning in my family, my wife's mother died. Um, where are we Sunday? Died Thursday night. And, um, and most of you know Pam Weiss, who also teaches here at SFI. And Pam's mother died, and she, we knew she was, uh, she was on a downslope and that that's what was going to happen, uh, but we didn't know when. And we had the good fortune to be able to go there to hear, okay, it's getting closer, and go there, be with her. And we were, had the good fortune to be with her the night of her death and sit with her while she was dying which I haven't done in a long time, meaning I haven't sat with somebody dying in a number of years. Uh, I've done a lot of hospice work, as has Pam, but I haven't sat with anybody dying. Uh, really, I can't remember the last time. It's really been a while. And it's very powerful and moving to see that part of impermanence, the impermanence of human life and consciousness that's, um, that is located with the human body. And the good fortune that I keep saying is really being able to sit next to her. Pam was on one side, I was on the other as she was dying and even and until her last breath. And it was so palpable. Pam and I looked at each other because it was like, oh, and it wasn't a big dramatic, it was actually very, very peaceful, which and Pam's mother's life was not so peaceful the last number of years for her own, her own dukkha, her own difficulty. But it was, but the death was, she just went. And it was very, very peaceful. And we, and we saw it, it just was like, and we looked at each other because it's, it's a moment, it's like birth. And uh, it's when 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 life is born, it's something. When it leaves, it's something. And um, and and it was very powerful, very poignant, and really again the beauty or the mystery of each moment and the fugacious uh, quality of life that is just disappearing or tending to disappear. And I thought of the of the Rumi line where he says, leave the circle of time and join the circle of love. Because there was so much love in the room when Nancy, Pam's mom, died. And it wasn't just our love, it was it was Nancy's love was there. I think she was really she was 85, so she wasn't 20 or 30 or 40. She was not a young woman. And she'd lived a full life, and I think she was happy to go. And this is my perception that may not be exactly true, but Pam had a similar feeling. We both felt it because of the peacefulness of the death. 
And then there's one more thing I'd like to talk about in terms of change or impermanence and that the board had asked me to talk about. And that's why this, this got scheduled. It was part of the scheduling of my talks the last few months, which is about the changes at SFI and learning to be with things as they are, right? Learning to, to be aware in each moment of how things change and in general how things change and the truth of change right of course dharma which most of you know means truth and coming into harmony with the truth of the way things are like the chant said brings the highest happiness coming into harmony with reality that it's changing and uh, it's really the doorway to, to classical mysticism that everything is one. When, like Rumi said, leaving the circle of time and joining the circle of love, that being has its own magic of everything appearing and disappearing. And one of the things that's changing and it's not done, it's not totally gone is my involvement in SFI I'm still totally involved and here, but we've switched to having a teacher council now. So especially um, starting in January, it'll be very consistent that each teacher will teach one Sunday a month. Then there'll be myself and Victoria Carey and um, Cyrus Smith and Pamela Weiss will be the four teachers. And so each week one of us will teach. And partly we did it this way because there was some unhappiness in the Sangha with the, it was really varied who was teaching when I wasn't here or Pam wasn't here. And so we wanted to make it more consistent, more stable. And I said this again last month and I'll say it again next month just to keep um, clarifying the changes that are happening at SFI. And I think I'll end uh, Anicca with a quote from the Dhammapada. This is from uh, the Dhammapada, considered the first, the earliest teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha said, when those who are wise dwell in contemplation on the transient nature of the body, heart, mind, and all conditioned existence, when those who are wise dwell in the contemplation on the transient nature of the body, heart, and mind, and of all conditioned existence, they experience joy and delight, seeing through to the inherently secure. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.